Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So prayer matters. And one of the reasons why is because prayer moves us beyond the superficial into the spiritual. Prayer punches through the natural into the supernatural, which is a big deal because I have a proclivity in my life to stay on the surface. So I go searching for hope, I go searching for joy, I go searching for peace, but kind of on the surface. Maybe you can relate a little bit, and then we find it. But it's surface level. So what happens is because it's surface level hope or peace or joy, it's short-lived, it's faltering, it's frail. It is dependent upon our circumstances or our situation. So when we pray, we say, God, would you take us beyond the superficial into the spiritual? The Bible promises that we'll find a deep abiding hope, a deep abiding joy, a deep abiding peace that we carry with us even through tough situations, even into and through tough circumstances. When we stay on the surface level, we find a surface level strength. And so we can find ourselves at times white knuckling our way through life. Man, I'm just gonna work harder to be a better person. But when we pray, we break through that into this prom- promise that God makes us, makes us that if we trust him, he'll actually get to work and change us from the inside out. Prayer really matters. And that's why we've pushed pause for three weeks as we look at this passage in John chapter 17. The entire chapter is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And I was thinking, who better to learn to pray from than from Jesus. And so last week we talked about the fact that Jesus prayed for himself and we ought to do the same. Incidentally, I believe that last week's service, we got more feedback than any service that we've ever done in the history of the church. Right in the middle of summer, which is crazy. So if you weren't able to make it, I would love it if you could go, go back, catch up on the podcast or on YouTube. Next week I want to talk about the fact that Jesus prayed for you and me that he prayed for the people who would come to believe in him in the years and centuries to come, us. But today, I want to look at the way that Jesus prayed for his disciples. John chapter 17, starting at verse 6, Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place. Then you gave them to me, and they have now done what you said. They know now beyond the shadow of a doubt that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them. And they took it and were convinced that I came from you. They believe that you sent me. I pray for them. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me so they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them. In the pursuit of the life you gave through me, I even posted a lookout. And not one of them got away, except for the rebel bent on destruction, the exception that proved the rule of Scripture. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, 
but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes. So there'll be truth consecrated in their mission. So Jesus prays this prayer to close off the Lord's Supper. And as he prays for his disciples who are gathered there with him, he knows something they don't know. He knows what's going to happen in the minutes and the hours and the days and weeks ahead. He knows that they're going to leave the Last Supper and Jesus himself is going to be arrested. He's going to be nailed to a Roman cross. He's going to suffer and die on that cross. And then on the third day, Jesus is going to rise again. For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus sticks around. He appears to groups as large as 500. He inspires, he encourages. But 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascends into heaven, and he gives his disciples a promise. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And 10 days after he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit showed up on the day of Pentecost in a city called Jerusalem. And one of his disciples named named Peter, preaches the first sermon in what has come to be known as the church. It's very interesting to think about that, that as Jesus prayed that prayer, he knew that those 11 men, and here's what I was going to say, that those 11 men would go on to launch the church. But that's kind of incorrect. A more correct way of saying it would be this. He knew as he prayed that prayer for those 11 men, that they were the church. I think it's a really important distinction we make today, that the church is not a place. The church is a people. The church is not a place. The church is a people. So when he prayed for those 11 men, they were the church. And and it's pretty amazing, too, because what started with 11 men, this movement called the church today... Billions of people in the world would say that God has radically altered their life through this thing called the church. Radically changed their past, their present, their future there forever through the church. And it all started in this room with 11 men. So what I want to suggest is that we pray. That we pray for the church, but specifically I would like to ask you to join me and pray for this church. Pray for us. I want to take this prayer of Jesus, and I want to suggest that as we pray for us, that we pray three things, okay? So number one, that we would be a house of healing. That we would be a house of healing. Earlier we sang a song that says, this is a house of healing. I would just change it a little bit, and I would say this. We are. We are a house of healing. We are. And so when we gather here together on a Sunday, we are a house of healing. And when we leave here on a Sunday, we go, and we are a house of healing wherever we go. The Bible says that you and me, we are called living stones, living stones, living stones. This house of healing is built of you, and it's built of me. The church is not a place the church is a people we are a house of healing jesus prays god guard them from this world protect them why 
because this world is hard. This world is tough. This world is broken, and in the wake of this broken world, we meet again and again and again broken people. In fact, I would suggest to you that every single person watching today online or here in this room, you've been injured to some degree by this world. It manifests itself all kinds of different ways among all kinds of different people. For some pe people, it's this feeling of insecurity, never quite measuring up. For some, it's a sense of shame, not being able to move past their past. For some, it's jealousy, it's bitterness, it's anger. For others, it's anxiety, depression, obsession, compulsion, even addiction. The point I'm making is every single person is hurting. And so Jesus established this thing called the church, this people, this people, we, we, we are a house of healing. Well, how's the church been doing at that? When Corinne and I started dating, we both attended Trinity Western University. And the dorm that I was living in was absolutely full of athletes, hockey players, basketball players, soccer players, volleyball players, so not surprisingly, we were incredibly good at intramurals. We won every single sport all year, and we loved it. You know, there was guys in our dorm that liked intramural sports more than they enjoyed playing university sports, okay? And I don't want to brag, but I was unreal at team handball, okay? I was unreal at team handball. So much so that we made it, not surprisingly, all the way to the team handball intramural final. And so Corinne decided to come watch, which made me happy for two big reasons. Number one, I just wanted to show off, you know? Because who doesn't want to show off to your girlfriend, right? But number two, I was really happy for Corinne. I just felt it was a really good opportunity to see how lucky she actually was, you know? <laughs> like, not everybody gets to date a team handball aficionado such as myself, am I right? So about five minutes into the game, I jump up as high as I can, I go to take a shot, I come down on someone's foot. I don't even like to talk about it because I absolutely blew my ankle out. So now, instead of cheering me on in the team handball final, Corinne is driving me to the Langley Hospital. And at the hospital on that particular night, I met the meanest nurse in the world. You say, Mike, you can't really say that for sure. You haven't met every nurse in the world. Objectively speaking, I did. I did. I met the meanest nurse in the world. I walked in, and she says, what seems to be the problem here? And I said, well, I, I hurt my ankle. I think I might have broke it. And she's like, you came to emergency for an ankle? I'm like, yeah, like, I think I broke it, you know, and so I thought maybe I should just come get it looked at. She says, how did you do it? I'm like, uh, I was playing intramural team handball. She looked at me, shook her head, rolled her eyes, and audibly scoffed at me. <sighs> Evidently, she doesn't like team handball. She looked at me at that point and said, I see you didn't take the time to shower before you came in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Review. How long into the game did I pull my ankle out? 
Five minutes, man. So it wasn't like a teeming cesspool of BO, okay? Like, I, I had like a tiny, I checked, I had like a tiny spot of sweat right here. That's all. I see you didn't take the time. I'm like, well, yeah, I thought I broke my ankle, so I thought like time is of the essence, you know? And she finally ended off with this question. She said, have you always had such a low pain tolerance? Thank you, Florence Nightingale. And some of the punks on my creative team told me you wouldn't know who Florence Nightingale was. Famous nurse, okay? Famous nurse, that's who it was. But, but, but thank you, Florence. Thank you for your words of healing. They're a balm to my broken little body. I wonder sometimes, though, if we realize that the church in the West were a lot like that nurse. Like, we, we say things around here like this. Be kind. Be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. You know, that's really hard, right? Like, it's really, really hard. And the reason why it's hard to be kind, because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle, is because everybody includes me. And I, too, am fighting a great battle. And when I meet somebody who is also fighting a great battle, I notice something. When I'm living life on the surface, superficially, just kind of running by my feelings, this is what I notice. When I meet somebody who's fighting a great battle, the bigger the battle they're facing, the more irritating they are. The more annoying they actually are. So I find it very difficult living on the surface to be kind because everyone I know is meeting a, fighting a great battle. I do. Just this week. It's great to use sermon illustrations from like back when I was 19. Just this week, I met somebody who was fighting a great battle. I could tell because they were a jerk. And I looked at them and this is what I said. <clears throat> I said, are you good? Just like that, okay? And I could have told it different. I could have said, I looked at him and I said, are you good? Is everything okay? I didn't. I said, are you good? And it was rhetorical. It was as if to say, I can tell, idiot, everything is not good. That's what I said to him. That's what Pastor Mike said to him. <laughs> and I went back 10 minutes later and apologized. But the, but the point is, sometimes the church in the West, we're a lot like that mean nurse. You get it? We look at hurting injured people and we go, you did what? Oh, it's your own fault you're hurt. <sighs> What is wrong with you? Or the nurse who said to me, hey, you didn't take the time to shower. We look at hurting, injured, broken people, and we go, ooh. Ugh. It's kind of gross, isn't it? It's interesting because years and years ago, I would hear people say this, and I thought it was just a, just a joke. I would hear people say, man, there are people, there are people out there, listen, there are people out there who are scared that when they walk into church, they're going to get struck by lightning. I thought it was a joke. And then I started meeting people. There are thousands of people in this city who have at least a niggling feeling that if they were to walk through the doors of a church, something really bad would happen to them. Why? Because they've been convinced somewhere along the line that there's something wrong with them. Kind of gross, you know? 
So I think when we pray, when we pray for us, we pray for us, you know, this church, that we, that we, we would be a house of healing. When we get past the surface, past the superficial, and get to the spiritual, what all of a sudden happens is, I understand, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I see it, I see it. I've been loved. As I've been loved by Jesus, I can then love others. As I've been cared for by Jesus, I can actually care for others. And listen, listen, as Jesus has been so incredibly kind to me, you know what happens when I really pray, when I really go deeper, you know what starts to happen? I'm able to be kind, even to those who are fighting a great battle. So let's pray for us. Let's pray for us. Let's pray that we would be a house of healing, that we would be kind even to those who are fighting a great battle. Secondly, let's pray that we would be a people of connection. People of connection. Jesus said, Father, would you help them be one like we are one? It's a really countercultural notion in 2023, connection, connection. We live in an incredibly disconnected world. We live in a very uh, tribal world, a world that is very much picked sides on almost any issue you can think of. In, in fact, we live in such a disconnected world that disconnection itself has been weaponized. Okay, so here's what's happened. People choose teams based on politics, philosophy, medicine, education, whatever. Okay, they choose teams. And here they are on this little team. Okay? And this team is just as kind of this bonded set here. We are all, we're all together, right? And, and this team is called us. And out there in the wastelands is called them. Okay? So, 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 so here's team us, team us, and the wasteland of them. Okay? So here's the thing, though. Listen. You better believe everything we believe. You better say everything we say. You better read everything we read. You better listen to everything we listen to. And if you don't act the right way like we tell you to act, you're going to be banished away from us and into the wasteland called them. And yet Jesus established the church to be incredibly countercultural, to be a people of connection. I love that. I love that about this church. In some ways, it starts with our staff. Back in March of this year, I called the staff in. I said, man, I'm so proud of you guys. By the way, you should pray for the Southside staff. A couple reasons. Number one, I'm their boss. Just think about that for a second. <laughs> now, I think I'm actually a pretty good boss, but, but we go hard. We lean forward, and so they're an incredibly hard-working group. And in March of this year, I could pick probably, I could have picked any week, but on this particular week, I just noticed everyone had been working so hard. And so I said, I just want to do a little something for you. I charged up a Starbucks card, and what I want you to do is I want you to go get yourself uh, a Starbucks this weekend. Go by yourself if you want. Take your spouse, take your family, take your friends, whatever. All I ask is you would just take a picture when you're there. Okay, so I got some of the pictures for you to look at. They're pretty cute. There's Doug and Carolyn, yeah. There's Scott and Brianna, cuties. Okay, so I like this one. There's, there's Des and her teenage son, Camden, in a very typical teenage son uh, type pose there. I love it, yeah. Huh. 
Nathan, Ashley, and Oakley. Wow. Henry and Leah. There's Josh and Hayden and Lincoln. Very cute. Spencer and Sydney. Hey, there's me and George. A couple of handsome guys. Oh, there's, uh, there's Lexi and her grandma and her sister. Very awesome. Mitch and Cassidy all the way from Ireland. Love that. And maybe my favorite right here. Dave Poole on a daddy date. Isn't that cute? Look at that. There's Shane and London and Jason. Even their exchange student Grace is there. Just enjoying a Starbucks with dad. Now, if you know the Poole family well, you might be at this point thinking to yourself, Mike, haven't you forgot somebody? Like, haven't you forgot little baby Davey? No, I did not. But Dave did. But Dave did on that particular day. So they went into Starbucks, they all got their drinks, they took some really cute pictures, they walked back out after enjoying some good family time, they get in and the kids see Davey in his car seat, and they're like, uh, Dad? And Dave said what you would have said, don't tell Mom, okay? <laughs> and, the, and the kids did what you would have done when you were a kid. The first thing they did when they got home was they told Mom, okay? So if you've talked to Dave a little bit since March and noticed he seems a little bit stiff, it's because sleeping on a couch is uncomfortable, right? <laughs> I don't judge Dave at all, honestly. Karen and I have six kids. We've lost all of them <laughs> at one point. We lost them in all kinds of places, church, Calgary Zoo, West Edmonton Mall, Disneyland. It's hard because you count them, right? But they won't stop moving. And sometimes you count the same one twice and you just head out thinking all is good. One of the best was Corinne took the kids to the park one day, and she's driving out in the Manus Mobile on the way home, and she looks in the rearview mirror, and she sees little four-year-old Emma standing on the park bench like this, <laughs> staring her down. It's all you need to know about raising Emma, okay? <laughs> so Corinne backs up the Manus Mobile and picks her up and heads home. Now, I bring that up because Jesus prays to his heavenly Father, and he says, I didn't lose a single one you gave me, not one. And yet, there's the curious case of Judas Iscariot. And, and, and I'll tell you what, some people look at that story and it kind of freaks them out and it kind of worries them. Be, because people think to themselves, wait a minute, Jesus, could you lose me? Like, could I lose my salvation? Like, could I be one day standing on a park bench with my arms folded watching the Salvation Mobile drive away with... And the answer to that is no. No, you can't. No, you can't. In fact, uh, uh, the best question is to ask yourself this. Could Jesus lose someone who has given their heart to him? And the answer to that is no. So maybe you look at me then, you go, okay, but hold it, Mike. What about Judas Iscariot? Judas Iscariot was one of the disciples, okay? But he followed Jesus superficially. Like physically, he followed Jesus and the disciples, right? But his heart was never there. Why did he follow Jesus and the disciples? He was stealing money from them. That's why he did. He had never given his whole heart and his whole soul to Jesus. Let me tell you this. Let me put it this way. If you're even asking the question, could I lose my salvation? The answer unequivocally is no, is no. So therefore, therefore, listen, 
if Jesus has never lost any of us, surely then we shouldn't lose each other through disconnection. Like somehow remembering that when we placed our faith in Jesus, we were adopted into a new family. You and me, we got the same heavenly father. We got the same big brother. We got the same mission. Isn't that amazing? And therefore, what unites us, what pulls us together, should be so much stronger than anything that should pull us apart. Really proud at how we've done at this Southside. I'm really proud of us. In a world that over the last few years has seen more and more disconnection, we pulled together. I've got a buddy who's a small group leader, and he told me a story. He said one small group, they got about 16 people in their small group. One small group, politics came up. Politics came up, easy, safe topic in 2022, right? So this is back, okay, a year ago. And, and politics came up. And he said, well, I never realized it before, but everybody in that small group has a completely different view on politics. And it got really heated and it got really angry. So we called everybody and made sure that they were all going to be back at the next small group. And they all came. And they looked at each other. And he said to them, I got an idea. What do you say we don't talk about politics anymore at small group? And what about if we decide that we don't need uniformity to have unity? What if we decide that we're going to focus on what draws us together rather than what tears us apart? And they said, sounds good. Man, I love that. I love that. Can we pray three things for this church? Number one, that we would be a house of healing. That we would be kind even to those who are fighting a great battle. That we would be a people of connection. And a counter-cultural miracle. We would focus on what pulls us together rather than what drags us apart. And thirdly, that we would be an army of liberation. Jesus said, Father, as you gave me a mission, I'm giving them a mission. And what's the mission? It's liberation. That God would use us, the church, to take people from lost to found. From despair to hope. From darkness to light. From bondage to freedom, to freedom, to freedom. So well, army is kind of a forceful, strong word, Mike, you know? I know because it's a forceful, strong mission we're on. You and me, we have a spiritual enemy named the devil, and the devil and his demons, they like lost. They like despair. They like destruction. They like darkness. So it is a battle. We are an army of liberation. How does it work? Well, I love the way that General Patton, an American general during World War II put it. He said this, the soldier is the army. No army is better than its soldiers. In other words, if I want to see liberation out there, I first need to find liberation in here. If I want to see liberation out there, I first need to see liberation in here, in here. In other words, if I want God to work through me, first he needs to work in me. Does that make sense? Galatians chapter five in the New Testament of the Bible 
talks about what, what it looks like, what a liberated life looks like. It's called the fruits of the spirit. Not surface, right? Spiritual. The fruits of a spiritual life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now that same passage in Galatians 5 talks about what happens when we live a surface level life. Life according to the flesh. It says what you see then is you see cutthroat competition. Paranoid isolation. Wanting and wanting and wanting, but never quite getting enough. Jealousy, brutal anger. Relationships that are based on using instead of loving. So if I want to see liberation out here, I got to see it in here. I got to see that kind of life grow inside of me. What's hard about that, though, is I used to think it just happened automatically. Like, because I believe in Jesus, that that stuff would just become true of me. You know, people would look at me and go, you know what that guy's middle name is? That's Mike. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, madness. You know, I mean, you get, it's written all over him. Never happened. No, it never happened. Like, I started looking around people that had been in church for years, and I didn't see that. But more importantly, I started to look in my own life, and it wasn't happen, happening automatically. And so I think it's really important for you and me, if we want to see liberation in here so that we can see liberation out there, we need to understand that Galatians 6, the very next chapter, says this, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. A person reaps what they sow. You will harvest what you plant. You will harvest what you plant. Galatians 6 says this, if you sow according to the flesh, you will leave a trail of destruction. If you sow according to the Spirit, you will leave a trail of life. Got to cooperate. Hey, Johnny Appleseed, you want apples? Plant apple seeds. You want love? You want love? This is what you do. You pray, God, help me to be a peace person of love, right? And then in your own imperfect, faltering way, you love. You make a decision to love. Love the people closest to you. And as you pray that prayer, and as you, as you cooperate with God's work in your life, what happens is he will help your love grow and flourish. A while back, I ran into a guy in town, and I knew that his wife of 20 years had just left him. I was familiar with their family because one of his sons had come to live with us for a while to escape the chaos of that family. Chaos that was largely caused by the man that I bumped into in town. He says, Pastor, I need you to pray for a miracle. I need to pray for a miracle right now. I said, I'd love to, man. I'd love to pray for a miracle right now. I said, you ready? Because here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would do the miracle of making you a more loving person as you cooperate with his work in your life. That God would do the miracle of making you kind as you cooperate with his work in your life, and you step out and you're kind. That God would make you more generous as you cooperate with his generosity. That God would make you more encouraging as you cooperate with his work in your life. And this guy looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, no. What are you talking about? I need you to pray for a miracle. I need you to pray right now that my wife would come back and I said, no. It doesn't work that way. 
you want to become kind? You pray, God, would you make me a kind person? And then you cooperate with his work in your life. You plant seeds of kindness, right? You're kind to the people in your life, starting with those who are closest to you. Christmas of 2020, remember that? Wasn't a lot of fun, was it? It was hard at the Southside Church staff, too, Christmas of 2020. Because since March of 2020, we weren't allowed to meet in person. This is just so strange, recording all these sermons like just in an empty studio, telling these hilarious jokes, no one's there to laugh. It was just horrible, you know? All the adversity I faced. Okay, so, so anyways, but, but we were stoked about meeting in person again. So excited because at first it was like, we're going to be able to meet in person again for Christmas of 2020. We're like, yeah, okay. And then it was like, no, you won't. Oh, no. And then they were like, yes, you will, but you can't meet at the public school gym where we had been meeting before. You got to rent a different place. So we're like, no problem. We'll find a different place to meet. And then they said, actually, you can't meet at all. No in-person church. And it was like, snip, snap, snip, snap, back and forth, Okay. So we called the staff in one day, and we said, got an idea. What if we set a goal to do something incredibly kind for our city this Christmas? No, stop. We, we, the church, we. For those of you who were around back in 2020, you know this, we had already been doing everything we could to plant seeds of kindness. We had been loving single parent families, supporting them in every way that we could. We had been reaching out to kids who were below the poverty line, giving them food to eat. We're assisting moms who, especially in 2020, dealing with crisis, pregnancy, and delivery situations, we were walking with them. We were supporting families dealing with critical illness through the Sunshine Fund. And that was all good, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of that. But near the Christmas of 2020, we said, but we'd like to do something just kind of seasonal. And I came up with a couple ideas which were pretty stupid. And then I don't remember which exact staff member came up with, with the idea of the Wonder drive through but it was pretty cool. So we put together this thing called the Wonder drive through hundreds of thousands of Christmas lights, thousands and thousands of volunteer hours. It was just a way to say to our city, hey, we can't do everything, but we just wanted to do something, you know? I, I remember the first night of the drive through I said to Corinne, I'll bring in my AirPods. I'm bringing them because I don't think anyone's coming. At least I can listen to podcasts, stand there all by myself. Okay, well, 12,000 people came, all right? And so we did this thing called the Wonder drive through through sleet and ice storms and snow, and it was really, really great. But I remember... In the couple months afterwards, I talked to a couple pastors from our general area here. Both of them buddies of mine, okay? And they both said the same thing. They said, hey man, I gotta tell you something. We, we made fun of your church at our staff meetings. I'm like, you did what? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you did the little Christmas light thingy, we, we, we just made fun of you guys. We we're like, oh yeah, I'm sure lives are gonna change. Southside's doing Christmas lights. First guy caught me by surprise. I was ready for the second guy. Second guy says, yeah, we made fun of you. And I said, hey, man, I got a quick question for you. I said, what, what did you guys do for Christmas of 2020? He's like, well, we had online church. No, I mean, I, I mean, it's an extraordinary Christmas, right, 2020? So what did you do extraordinarily in 2020? He said, well, nothing. I said, man, you know what? I think I like the way that we did it wrong 
better the way that you didn't do it. I think sometimes we have a tendency, we have a tendency to say, God, you gotta do something. God, you gotta do something in my marriage. You gotta do something in my family. You gotta do something in this city, God. And God's looking at you, and he's looking at me, he's looking at Southside Church, and he's saying this, I did do something. I sent you, so get to work. Get to work. Next week, we've got a baptism coming up. What's a baptism? Well, one of the things it is, it's just cooperating with God's work in your life, right? Planting seeds of faith. And I, I want to find a, a deep abiding joy, a deep abiding hope, a deep abiding peace, a deep abiding strength in my life. I love it, I love it, me too, me too. And so what you do then is you pray for that and you act accordingly. See, what's baptism? Baptism is an expression of faith, an outward expression of that inward commitment of faith. So I want to tell you this. If you have not yet been baptized, let's do it. Get dunked. Get dunked. Depending on the life you've lived, we can hold you under for as long as two and a half minutes if we have to. <laughs> I set the record myself at three and a half. No, I didn't, I didn't. But, 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 but listen, this is important. Jesus said, believe and be baptized, right? He didn't say be perfect and be baptized. He didn't say be well-behaved and be baptized. He didn't say be the lifestyle that people tell you you need to be if you're going to believe in me. Mm -mm. He didn't say, hey, vote a certain way and then get baptized. Didn't say any of that. What? Believe, believe, believe. If you believe in Jesus, stop, full stop. If you believe in Jesus and you have not yet been baptized. Let's go. Text the keyword dunk to 604-670-3040. So let's pray for us. Let's pray for us. Let's pray for this church. Three things. Number one, that we would be a house of healing. That we would be kind even to those fighting a great battle. That we would be a people of connection and finally, that we would be an army of liberation, knowing, knowing, knowing that liberation out there starts where? In here. In here. And as we see God answer that prayer, and he already has been, I'll tell you what's going to happen. They say that around the world today, atheism is dropping. Less and less atheists. Does that make sense? Like after the last four years or so, I think it's pretty fair to say that a lot of people in the world are like, mm, there's got to be more to life than this, right? That makes sense. And yet... The Western church is declining. So more, more and more people spiritually hungry, and yet the Western church is declining. We have the answers to the questions they're asking. And I read a study not long ago that said, the reason why people in the West aren't flocking to the church is not because they're not spiritually hungry. It's not even because they don't believe what we believe. You know what it is? They don't think the church really believes what the church says it believes. You know why? Because they don't see it. So you gotta tell you, I'm gonna brag on us a little bit again. I'm proud of us. Because I think we really have been praying that prayer. Let's continue to pray that prayer. I think it's the reason why we're seeing unprecedented growth in 2023 that we are becoming a house of healing, 
that we are a people of connection, that we are an army of liberation. And as we do that, here's what I think is going to happen in our city. Not only are they going to look and say to us, hey, I don't believe what you believe, but I can really tell that you believe, that you actually believe what you say you believe, they're going to look at us and say, man, I don't really believe what you believe, but man, I would love to live the life that you live. Let's pray. Real simply, heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. Just a real question for you. How have you been hurt by this world? I want to tell you the first step towards healing. I want to tell you the first step towards freedom. I want to tell you the first step towards a life worth living. And that's accepting the free gift that Jesus has already bought. He died so that you could get past your past. He rose again so that you and me can live today, tomorrow, forever. Everything that needed to be done by God has been done through his son. So here's my question for you. If you have never accepted that free gift, today's your day. What I want you to do with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if that's you, can you just raise your hand nice and high because I want to pray for you right now. Amazing, and if you're watching online and it's safe to do so, I would love it if you could raise your hand wherever you're at. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm just gonna pray out loud, just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, I come to you right now. I thank you that you died for me. I accept your forgiveness. I ask for your healing as I move past my past. And Jesus, I thank you that you rose again pray that I would step into the new life that starts now and stretches into forever. And God, I thank you for us. I thank you for this movement, this mission called Southside. And I pray, God, that you would continue to make this place a house of healing, make us a people of healing. I pray that we would be a people of connection, that we would never forget that what draws us together is infinitely greater than anything that should pull us apart. And finally, God, I pray that you would continue to relentlessly work inside of each of us so that we could see this world change one life, one story at a time as you set people free through us. We love you, we thank you, in your name, amen. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.